This is Live Wired in Calgary. Welcome back to Live Wired in Calgary. I am your host, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. This is our final show of 2019. Now, when I left you last month, I actually hadn't looked at the calendar to see that I do indeed have one more show this year. It's good because there's a lot of great stuff that happened. Um, And here we are. Of course, as always, this show is produced in partnership with CJSW 90.9 FM, and it's recorded at the University of Calgary on traditional Treaty 7 land. We've got some great content this month. Two of the clips are on stories that I would definitely put into the top newsmakers of 2019, but they'll also make news in 2020 as well. We'll fit in some new information on Calgary's e-scooters, love them or hate them, and the launch today, that's the date this program is airing, December 23rd, of the Max Yellow Bus Rapid Transit Project. We'll toss in a quick On Your Radar segment before we bid adieu to the 2019 year and start focusing on 2020. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. Pick things off with a couple of quick hits from City Council this month. Before we get into two later segments on highly emotional projects in Calgary, the Event Centre, aka Arena, and the Green Line. Calgary's e-bike share program launched in 2019, but it wasn't actually until the launch of the e-scooter pilot that things really took off. Last week, Calgary's Transportation Committee got an update on the project, including some proposed plans for the pilot project continuing in 2020. First off, between bikes and scooters, more than 915,000 trips were logged in 2019. That's actually quite a bit. The city's data covers everything from traffic patterns, where trip ended, uh, injuries, and and a whole lot more. We actually have a great little package uh, from the city that includes much of that data, and you can find that at livewirecalgary.com. Now, in 2020, users will see speed restrictions dictated by a geofence, and it'll bring speeds down in some higher volume areas. Uh, A lot of the traffic was centered around business improvement areas, um, places where there's a high retail concentration, where there might be a lot of people as well. Also in these areas will be parking zones, uh, and I'm guessing to reduce potential street clutter where there's higher pedestrian traffic, but also higher usage uh, of the of the e-scooters and e-bikes. Fines were also added for reckless behavior and striking a pedestrian, and both of those will carry a $400 penalty. As always, there's a question about whether or not those will easily be enforced, but I will let the powers that be determine how they're going to handle that. Moving on, Council also got a briefing on a proposed pilot project for black bin carts. I I found this interesting because it would see citizens be charged less if they didn't actually have their black bin out on the curb. Now, how many of us, let's be honest, how many of you have not thought that you should be charged less if you aren't filling your bin, right, or putting it out there? There's so many times where we have filled uh, our bin maybe half full. And yet we still put it out there dutifully every, I think, Tuesday. Tuesday is when our day is. We put it out there dutifully every Tuesday when there might only be a bag of garbage. 
um, we could actually probably go three weeks. So it's an opportunity for people to potentially save money. They're going to track it through radio frequency ID. Uh, and they'll be able to tally when people have put their, their black bin out. This isn't expected to move forward until 2022, but the pre-pilot work will actually begin next year. A lot of people have had uh, uh, some concern over the $140,000 price tag for even just the pre-pilot work, uh, wondering why there aren't city staff who can already conduct that work. Uh, not sure about the specifics over the 140000 whether that's just the built-in cost for the program uh, in-house uh, or whether that is actual outside work that's being done. Finally, in this segment, and we do have an audio clip to go with it, we will hear from Asif Kurji. He's the manager of transit planning for the city of Calgary on what people can expect with the launch of the Max Yellow BRT service. Now, I thought this was a great bridge segment because if you recall, when the Southwest BRT was discussed back in 2015 and 2016, that's the the old name for the Max Yellow service, this was a highly emotional issue. It divided the areas, uh, the neighborhoods along 14th Street Southwest, and it resulted in a number of public battles, including calls to scrap the project altogether. If I recall correctly, there was actually maybe a physical confrontation in some cases, and there were worries that some councillors' safety may be at risk in this. So, I mean, Calgary's no stranger to these kinds of controversial issues. But now it's here. Bus service has already launched. As I mentioned earlier, it launched today, the airing of this program. And here are some of the changes that you might see. Tell me where we're going to see the major impacts in terms of bus route changes, like being from Brayside prior, um, I know that the 56 ran through there. Like, what are we going to see that's totally, totally different? Yeah, so we made modifications to about 20 bus routes in the area. We looked at 20 bus routes and, and modified a number of them. Um, in the past, some of them would go over to the red line and, and people would transfer over there. Uh, with the modifications to the bus routes, we're now taking advantage of the infrastructure that was put into place. And so um, having better access to some of the key destinations in, in southwest Calgary, like Rocky View Hospital, like Southland Leisure Centre, uh, so folks can have more of a direct trip to get to the destinations they need to go to. Are there any uh, are there any that were completely eliminated um, as a result of some of these changes? I wouldn't say eliminated, but somewhere somewhere modified quite a bit. Uh, and modified quite a bit being, like, you know, instead of the fifty six coming yeah. up Southland Drive, you know, yeah. like going all the way on the big loop. Yeah. Does it just end at the Max Yellow or something like like anything like that? That's made. Yeah. So some routes were rerouted throughout the community, and instead of going to the Red Line, they were they're dropping folks off on Max Yellow. So within the community, they're typically the same, but some of the destinations where they're going to are, are changing based on the feedback we'd heard from Calgarians. Well, that's where I was going to go next. A lot of this uh, has to have been done, I'm going to guess, with with the community's feedback and, and that sort of thing. Um, how, how important was their participation in this in kind of figuring out, okay, where we could make those adjustments? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... That was a key consideration into, into the changes that we had. We, we wouldn't just blindly go and make those changes. Um, there was significant engagement over the past six months to a year, uh, speaking to Calgarians in southwest Calgary. And then previously before that, um, with the first three max lines, again, we were, we were out there quite a bit speaking to Calgarians and listening to their feedback and making the changes so that the service that we put out there meets the needs that they're expecting of us. And so... Uh, 
how, how's it going to work? I mean, I'm familiar to some degree with the, uh, what was that, the Max Purple that's across there on, on, on 17th Avenue. Are, are they going to be running at the same intervals? Like, are you going to do it based on, you know, the ridership that you see? Or do you have a set amount right now? Yeah, so on, on Monday when we launched Max Yellow during the peak period, we'll have about six Max Yellow buses. Um, so that's about every 10 minutes in the peak period traveling along the corridor for Max Yellow specifically. Other bus routes will use the infrastructure, so there'll be a few more buses than, than what was originally out there. Um, peak periods, it'll be about, or outside peak periods, sorry, it'll be about every 20, 25 minutes. Uh, but during the peak where we see a lot of our ridership, it'll be about every 10 minutes. Right. So I haven't been in the area recently only because I've avoided <laughs> driving yeah. along 14th Street. But are we talking about similar infrastructure to what's on some of the other uh, Max lines where it's like bus only dedicated lines? Yeah, so Max Yellow is a little bit different. It's got key infrastructure. Um, so on 14th Street, it'll be similar to 17th Avenue Southeast where there'll be a transit way and there'll be larger stations. Um, that'll have heated inf or heated shelters, real-time information, help phones. Outside of the transitway, it'll be a little bit more similar to our Max Teal and Max Orange. So the stations and the amenities will fit more of the context of what's around or what's surrounding it in the in the community. All right, let's do a little bit of stick handling away from transit talk for the moment and talk about sports. Kind of. So Jason Greger, a sports radio broadcaster for TSN 1260 and a writer for Oilers Nation, penned a really interesting piece about the declining attendance at Edmonton Oilers hockey games. Of course, as you know, in 2016, they opened this sparkling new palace called Rogers Place that was intended to, of course, drive fan base, you know, create a beautiful atmosphere. But they can't seem to draw as many fans as they once used to. So you can find a link to that piece in our story at livewirecalgary.com that asks about some of the lessons Calgary can learn as we embark on our own event center project. Now, we can't bring you the full interview, but we've pulled out certain clips that hit home on what Gregor said Calgary can learn and why that might be important. What kind of compelled you to take a look at the attendance overall? Well, because, you know, that was the lowest crowd that I've ever seen in that new rink, right? Like, so the last two years, even though the orders were bad, they, they sold out every night, at least according to the NHL records, right? Like, I watched some games, there was the odd empty seat, and maybe it's not sold, but whatever. But, you know, there was, a lot, there was thousands of empty seats last game, and obviously they listed it at 2,000 empty, but I thought there was probably more. So, you know, it was just something to look at. The orders have only had two sellouts all season, and it's something that's across the league. Right in Canadian markets, you don't see uh, sell off. So the economy is definitely part of it. But uh, I also think that the fact that, you know, it can't just be it for everybody, right? Like the economy wasn't stellar last year and it was still selling out. So I think, you know, lots of season ticket holders didn't renew this year. We, we knew that. And, and, um, and now you're seeing that at the games. And um, I, don't, I don't think there's a necessarily a quick fix. When, you, when I read all the comments from fans, like, you know, they have different uh, opinions on what they don't like. And, you know, prices in the building are a big thing for sure. And I think, you know, you look at some, I believe that there's part of that building that, you know, the low seating is, is fantastic. And, and there are enough bathrooms technically for all the people, but there's so many bathrooms that aren't accessible because they're all on the lowest level that, 
you end up having people that have to choose in the, in the second deck. Either go to the bathroom or you go get a lineup for beer. Because if you do both, you're going to miss the, the start of the next period. Right. Going back to the economy, I mean, Calgary's arguably got a worse economy than maybe what's yeah. going on up in Edmonton. Yet we're still sitting up at ninth spot in the in the NHL attendance, and I mean this year honestly we don't have as good a team on paper. Now obviously things are things are changing right now, but I mean so so it does it come down to that fan experience and and with that the price? Uh, well, I also think a big part here is that the Oilers have missed the playoffs twelve or thirteen years, right? Mm-hmm. And, and eventually people you know apathy sets in and they're just like you know I don't I don't want to keep supporting the team. Now, the orders are off to a better start, but, you know, they, uh, I think some fans are like, well, yeah, I'm not ready to commit yet. And the season ticket base is one. A fan experience, I think, is, is it for sure, but the, the biggest thing to make the fan experience better is winning. Right? It's just, it doesn't matter. You're, you could have a so-called bad locker room. When you're winning, no one says you have a bad locker room. Right? <laughs> so, it's, winning cures most things in pro sports, but, and so, I think when you lose, it's, it's hard. And then if you lose some fans, and maybe, you know, younger fans maybe can't afford to go to games because the, uh, it's not just a ticket price now. It's, you know, 13 bucks for a beer or, you know, a pizza or whatever else. So I think it's a combination. I, 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 think, I don't think there's one thing that if you said, well, it's all, if the orders all of a sudden made it $9 beers, that uh, the games would sell up. I mean, obviously, you're probably well aware that Calgary just kind of officially approved the arena deal. You know, given all these things, if... If we're to take the team performance out, what can we learn from the Edmonton Arena experience to kind of maybe head some of this off at the pass? Good question. Uh, I think you have to design it and still keep a lot in mind for every fan base. You can't just be like, it's going to be all for the people that can afford the highly expensive ticket prices, right? I think you've got to have family sections. I think that's something that's, that's really lacking in Edmonton. And even though the owner had talked about it originally, it never came to fruition. There's not a family, you know, affordable section. And I think every building should have one of those because you, there's tons of fans and you shouldn't automatically say, well, you can't be a fan because you don't make enough money. And, and that's a fine line. But I think as pro sports evolves, you know, and you're, if you want people to come to the rink rather than just watch at home where it's infinitely cheaper, then uh, that's something that you... I, I know that you still have to cover costs, but you've got to find a balance. And, you know, and, and people who can afford it, if, if you could afford a rich, let's say, a $200 seat in the lower bowl, would it really offend you if there was a family section in the, in the second deck where people with young families got a ticket for 55 or 70 whatever the number is? Right. Why would you? Like, you shouldn't because... That's, you know what, you're lucky enough to be able to afford a $200. You might love to want to go to a game, but if it's going to a game or paying for your kids, you know, sporting events or, or paying for your mortgage, well, we all know what they're going to choose. Once you lose people and they don't get to go to games, like, if you're never a kid and you've never got to go to an arena, right, you don't necessarily have that same passion as even if you got to go there once or twice in a five-year span, like, you know, I remember my friends, you all have to go once or twice. You're like, oh my gosh, going to that game was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. But if you ever get to experience that and more families don't, well, now you're going to lose, I think, that connection and emotional connection to your team. Because that's really what fuels fans is getting that emotional charge of going to the game. I found Jason's take to be an interesting one. Uh, th- there's a lot of things, a lot of questions that still remain about how 
Calgary's arena or event center is going to take shape. I think the one thing that that is important, though, um, and I've written about this in the past, is that it does take on that sort of placemaking feel that it is for more than just the people who can afford you know, two, $300 tickets. I mean, one of my greatest fears is that, that, that while we may have this beautiful building, I might not actually be able to take my sons to it because I won't be able to afford, you know, $400 for the three of us, or if I bring my wife, 500 or 550 for us to go. So I think he raises some important points about how you maintain that the, the longevity of the fan base by making it inclusive for everyone, and that includes things like affordability. That's going to be a hot topic in 2020, and it's a great segue into our next segment. But first, we've got On Your Radar. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. All right, in On Your Radar this month, of course, we're hoping you ring in the new year in style this year. Many of you probably have your plans in place already, but if you don't, the city's going to have a fireworks display at midnight from the top of the Calgary Tower. Ooh, boy. And it's going to be live streamed, so you can actually watch it from the comfort of your own home. Skating hours that night at Olympic Plaza will also be extended to midnight on New Year's Eve. Moving right into January, we have the High Performance Rodeo starting up January 8th, and that'll go to the 26th. You can check out hprodeo.ca for more info on that. There are several exhibitions in January, starting with the Motorcycle Joe Show from January 10th to 12th, the Calgary Renovation Show from January 17th to 19th, the Wedding Fair January 19th, and the RV Show January 30th. Of course, all of those will be taking place at the BMO Centre. January 17th and 18th is a Lunar New Year celebration. That'll go at the Jack Singer Concert Hall. And finally, if you've never had the opportunity to check these guys out, the Harlem Globetrotters are in Calgary January 24th. That's always a good show. I get the sweet Georgia Brown song in my head every time I see the Harlem Globetrotters. There's lots going on in January. Ring in the new year with a new event right here in Calgary. I don't want to take too long setting this new segment up, but if you followed the Green Line committee meeting earlier this week, you'll know that there was some some conversation about the public consultation or or the consultation with city administration over the Green Line. Councillor Jeff Davison made some comments that uh, many on social media, many onlookers weren't too pleased with regarding the level of consultation um, or, or ongoing discussion about the Green Line. And it was contrasted with some of his comments about public discourse or conversation regarding the event centre. Um, I've even postulated on Twitter in the past that... Uh, I, Councillor Davison's opinions on public consultation seem to shift based on the project. So I talked with him directly about it, and here is what he had to say. Yesterday's meeting, yesterday's Green Line meeting, there was a vote on having public submissions during the meeting. Uh, it was on short notice, hadn't been advertised. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm never an opponent to the public participating in the meetings, um, but it really struck a chord with a lot of people. Um, first off, you voted in favor of this. Uh, can you kind of explain to me what your rationale was for that? Yeah, I mean, I think 
you know, issue agnostic. We always want to hear from the public. I mean, that's why we're there. And so uh, I think, you know, sometimes it's a little bit about looking out in the crowd and understanding, um, you know, why people may or may not want to have to speak on a, on a specific issue and, uh, and listening. So I think one of the things that maybe created a little bit of a little bit of a flashpoint for people was you had mentioned in yesterday's meeting this notion of the public getting grumpy with the time being taken on this. And to use one of your direct quotes, it was we need to be mindful and really extra careful that we're doing our due diligence to ensure that this is the best possible project and spend for Calgarians. Now, in contrast, during the arena debate, I believe it was Councillor Woolley, he brought up the need for public consultation that lasted more than a week, uh, especially during the midsummer. So there was this suggestion that ongoing consultation was the opportunity to kick the can down the road so the public can mount their opposition to it. Can you explain the difference between the two situations for me? situations are uh, in, in any way, shape, or form identical. You know, on one hand, we've got a uh, private-public partnership uh, to the tune of about $550 million, of which $290 million is uh, city-supported uh, tax money. Um, you know, when we're talking about Green Line, this is a, this is a $5 billion project, right? You d- this is, you know, over 15 times the size of the Event Centre project. Um, you know, when it comes to Green Line, I think, honestly, we've had probably six years or better of public consultation on this project. I mean, we've been talking about uh, envisioning uh, a new train line since 1995 or beyond. So, uh, you know, at this time, it's really about, uh, you know, making sure that the stakeholders, and by stakeholders, I mean landowners and, and other folks that are directly affected uh by where we align the train downtown are at the table with us having the conversation because the risk on getting the downtown component of this wrong is huge. Uh, and so we've got to take some extra time and, and, and due diligence to make sure that that alignment is done correctly because that alignment will set the tone for the rest of that line. So, I mean, to use the, the same vernacular, though, are, are we kicking this can down the road so a more effective opposition can be mounted? Or, or worse yet, uh, around that same time, we will be looking at another provincial budget. And the last one, I think we both know that it wasn't so kind to the Green Line. Well, I mean, to be clear, nobody's trying to mount opposition to this. This isn't a conversation of, is the public getting behind not doing this? Um, you know, we have well shown that um, one way or another, we can put cash flow to work, and we we can understand how we realize this. Um, and you know, although we're talking a little bit about nuance in terms of engaging some of our stakeholders right now to ensure we get that alignment right in the downtown core, um, the project is still on time uh, for execution. So we're still talking about early 2021 uh, getting this getting tracks put down. So you know, I don't want to draw a conclusion that somehow there's this quote-unquote delay or confusion tactic happening. That's not what's happening here. What's actually happening is we're structurally aligning our downtown on the basis of the vision that council has 100% supported, and now we're going to move that into execution for early 21. Do you understand that some of the frustration with ongoing delays, 
you know, it how it's manifesting itself right now. Uh, I, are, are you or is is council is is the Green Line Committee, I guess, generally speaking, do you believe that they're aware of that frustration? talk of certain delays or, or uh, further conversation, um, you know, certain people are always going to get wound up about that. Um, you know, for me, again, you know, we're not talking about a construction delay here, right? We're not talking about pushing this project into 22, 23, 24. Uh, the project is moving ahead on time for scheduled construction. Uh, what we are talking about is just spending some, some, you know, what I would say, enhanced time on focusing on the downtown core because we know that alignment piece is absolutely critical to the vision of this line. So, I mean, I, I guess that takes me into one of my last two questions here. I know that councillors are going to be discussing some of the uh, some of the project scope in the private meeting uh, in January. I guess from your perspective, do you feel it's more important to take the time to do the project right as the vision for the, the Green Line was originally intended? Or to ensure that it meets the budget and it's and it's perhaps maybe it ends up being a little bit more utilitarian. Well, I mean, I always say that you know what we're after here has to be the best rider experience for the funding we have. I think that's that's just you know any which way you have to look at the project. You know, our goal is to make it on time and on budget, uh, and you know have benefit to the you know largest amount of uh, population we can serve. Um, I think, you know, what you're seeing in terms of downtown uh, alignment talk and what we're going to be talking through in terms of some of the whiteboarding has a lot more to do with risk than anything else. You know, the one thing you've heard uh, the city's transportation team and Green Line team talk about is that, you know, the tunneling, for instance, uh, you know, was projected to be just over $2 billion as part of the cost uh, to get uh, through the downtown core. We know that's not uh, going to necessarily be, number one, feasible to vision because putting stations seven stories down and below some of the water table uh, doesn't exactly align with what the vision was. And number two, uh, we had to really consider that what is the, you know, the risk registry on doing something that deep in the ground? And the problem came out that, you know, you could be, uh, and and these are just not intended, but construction mistakes or, um, you know, and unanticipated uh, factors with that type of deep level construction, you know, the risk level on that is potentially triple, if not more. So for the $2 billion spend you were looking at, you know, your risk profile is five to $7 billion. Okay, well now we need to come back to the table and start rethinking what we're doing, which is really how we came back with this cut and cover option talk. Uh, that's a great option in terms of still burying the line, but the line doesn't actually need to be as deep. And so as we're now taking tunneling out of this uh, in terms of part of the conversation, you have to really focus now on, on making sure the alignment you thought of still stands. And part of that is making sure that you use the most amount of public right away in order to deliver that. Okay. So, I mean, as with any delay in any project, um, costs can escalate. And I think um, recently in, in Ontario, the Hamilton LRT project was scrapped for costs that can, went considerably higher. If there are ongoing delays, is there a point in time where, A, we have to start increasing the budget, or is there a potential that this project could end up going that route as well and being scrapped? 
Well, again, we're not talking about delays here, right? And, you know, when you talk about delays, you know, in my opinion, delays have to do with construction timing, and that construction timing has not currently moved. We are still on track to start laying ground uh, and putting track down in 2021. Um, What you're seeing today is really about risk profiling, creating a risk registry, and ensuring that the dollars we have will deliver the best possible project we can. And so, you know, when you see things like what's happening in Ontario where lines are getting pulled and costs are ballooning, that's, that, you know, that is 100% right now why council is, is not pumping the brakes, but is looking to ensure that we are managing our cash flow responsibly and that we can ensure we get this project done on time. So final question here, just to round it back to the public consultation. Um, and, and I don't think it was implied at the Green Line committee meeting that there wouldn't be further public consultation, but that that element of it hasn't really been hammered out. Is there still room here once we come up with with the plan that council wants to move forward with for the public to once again have consultation? Yeah, you know, absolutely, and of course there is. I mean, I think, you know, part of the... Part of the process you have to go through is, you know, you talk about sort of those high-level things. What do we envision as a city and what do we want to deliver on? Um, but as you get more into the fundamentals of, of construction feasibility, you know, it's not uncommon for things to change, right? And, and for us, it's about managing that risk and managing that cash flow. But what we need to do all along that process is continue to engage with the public to ensure that um, cash flow still meets vision and that we are still delivering the best rider experience for the dollars we have um, and that, you know, we're still serving, you know, the widest amount of ridership we can uh, with that vision we have. So I, I think there's going to be lots of opportunity going forward where the public can come and speak. I think right now what we have to do is just ensure that, you know, we've got the, all of our stakeholders at the table and we are aligned on where we need a downtown line. That's a numbers game. That's not... That's not an opinion game. It's a numbers game. You have to be able to show that, you know, this thing serves the most amount of riders by going a certain way. That's the program we intend to put together over the next couple of months, and that's the program we'll take forward to the public to, uh, to talk about when it's ready. I've got about 10 seconds to finish up here. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jeff Davison. Thank you, Jason Greger. Thank you, Asif Kurji. Thank you all for joining me for this whole year. Enjoy the holiday season, and we'll catch you in 2020.